exciting things are in store for us. For the next two Sundays, we'll be celebrating the mission ministries of this church and as we support, enable, and empower in some different way men and women around this world who are in mission and ministry for our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're looking forward to Missions Week, which kicks off next Sunday. There'll be an array of opportunities for people to participate, to become engaged by, and to engage with those who are here and who are serving around this world. You should clear your calendar so that you might participate in every event possible. I'm going to come back to that thought, so hang on to that thought. You should clear your calendar. In fact, while I'm at it, just clear your calendar of almost everything that's not really worth something to the Lord. Yeah, I know it's going to cause you trouble, but save that thought. I'm coming back to it. I remember on the walk to Emmaus, one of the things about Emmaus that is very striking is the closing ceremonies when a cross is presented to all those who've taken their walk to Emmaus. I remember very well the, what we planned for and what we received as a leader in those events for many years when I was very active in walks to Emmaus from all over this part of northeast Texas. One of the things that I recall is the feeling that people get whenever they receive that cross. Christ is counting on you. And then the response by those who receive it is, and I am counting on Christ. There's nothing more powerful in this world than those two thoughts together. And quite frankly, most of what God does in this world is done by that link between the Christ who's working through the Holy Spirit in this world and between the people who are counting and enabled to minister to others because they are counting on Christ. We're completing our circle today, and yet it's only path one in discipleship pathway. We have up to this point been talking about a lot of things We've been talking about engaging others by invitation and being engaged. We've talked about establishing the faith in our lives, discovering who Jesus really is and a relationship with Jesus. We have talked about being equipped so that we're getting prepared as we own our faith to then become armed in order that we might serve our Lord. So you better be paying attention. Some of you probably think that's an airplane, but that, no, no. I've never heard an airplane before in here. It's getting fainter, so we're okay. <laughs> Just in case we were going to see Jesus. <laughs> Give me the trip. I'll take the flight. I'm not afraid of seeing Jesus. If we all can keep that kind of courage, life will indeed be powerful for those around us. After we're equipped to serve, there's yet another step to take. We must become empowered. Empowered often involves a mentor, and after we become empowered, it involves our becoming a mentor to others. One of the more beautiful things about this congregation is your time of prayer at the chancel rail. As you empower one another to live your lives, as you encourage and enable one another to live faithfully in the midst of trying circumstances. I remember clearly having been experiencing my moment of coming to the Lord when I was a young teenager. I remember clearly how powerful that was to me. And I remember clearly the voice of God speaking to me in my ear, especially at night when I lie down and prepare to go to sleep. 
That's what I remember clearly. What I remember most clearly is that because I was young and because I didn't really have a faith mentor at that point in my life, after a couple of weeks, I had successfully achieved saying no to the voice of God that was as clear as the voice that called me to accept him as my Savior. See, God was calling me, even at that young age, to follow a path to become one of his pastors. And it took me about two to three weeks of nighttime struggling to convince myself I was just still wallowing in my guilt before salvation, and God surely didn't really want me to be a preacher, because God knew I surely didn't want to be one. And so I surely turned off that switch because I was young enough and in my state very vulnerable to crowd out the voice of God. Now I'd like to say that's the last time I did that. That wouldn't be true. In fact, I lived a lot of my life only listening to the part of God that really interested me, only listening to the part of God that really fit into my life, and living my life the way I would call the average Christian lives it. And that is no compliment. Because you see, this thing called Christianity is very simple and yet very complex. Very complex and yet really practically very simple. And it all is embroiled and tied together with our willingness and our ability to hear God's voice. And then our willingness and our ability to receive God's voice. And to let it begin to work in our lives. God rarely, very rarely, forces himself upon others. Now, I'm not saying he never does. I remember a guy walking the road to Damascus. Boy, that lightning bolt hit him, didn't it? Unfortunately, not everybody gets blinded by God so that they might begin to see. Much more often is a tradition that you have to decide to listen. And then I remember the day when Joe and Candy Ashton came back to our hometown from law school. You know where they're supposed to finish ruining you? It's a little crooked, but I'll work on that later. <laughs> it's a little crooked, and so are most of us. But once when Joe came back and we established our relationship again after three years in law school, it became clear to me from listening to Joe and from listening to Candy that neither of the two were the same young adults that left our city to go to Lubbock. And in the weeks and the months that came as we joined together in Sunday school class and he drugged me to choir and then he drugged me to Bible study that wasn't even church-sponsored Bible, Bible study. It was a charismatic Bible study. I could spell the word, and that's about all I knew about it. But since my home church rarely offered Bible study at that time, it was at least somebody attempting to mentor this young adult who was finally opening himself up to listen to God's word. Now, as I listened to that word, it wasn't easy. It was a struggle because I started learning a lot of things about myself. And again, I began to hear the voice of God calling me to do something that I still didn't want to do. 
But because I had a mentor, I was able to push forward. I was able to keep reading. I was willing to struggle with the scriptures and to struggle with a question that God kept pouring into my heart and mind. And as I kept struggling and struggling with it, after about a year and a half, finally, finally, I was able to say, okay, okay, enough already. I'll do it. I'm tired of this suffering. I'll take the other suffering of being a pastor. <laughs> you know, those crazy Methodists and move all over everywhere. I didn't want to do any of that stuff. I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to do what God wanted me to do. It's really stupid. It's really stupid. So if you're out there this morning and you're still being really stupid, wake up. Because it's really no fun being really stupid. We all have our stupid moments. Stupid is as stupid does, remember? Forrest got it right for crying out loud. He was dumb as a stick, almost. But he was pure as a driven rain. So he found what he was searching for in life. I remember I had to go back to college. I had to go to seminary. I remember in Wichita Falls the first time and then two years later, three years later actually, the second time when the church laid its hands upon my head through the bishops and the congregation of the North Texas Annual Conference told me to take that authority. And I felt empowered to do something that I had not been doing, even though I'd been pastoring for several years. I knew that there was something to this empowerment that comes through others as representatives of the body of Christ, and something that comes through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in your life when you open yourselves to the power of that Spirit. There was something to getting yourself in line to do whatever it is. That God is calling you to do here on earth. And I knew before I ever knew the words of Emmaus that God was counting on me. And I certainly was counting on God. Because I still didn't want to go, literally. I wanted to be a pastor. I just didn't want to go wherever God was going to send me. Because I didn't think the bishop knew where that might be. But I made up my mind then when I said yes to go, I would go. And I've gone every time they've ever asked me to go anywhere except once. Once, they made the mistake of asking me what I thought. <laughs> and I told them, I don't think God's finished with me where I am. And then the shocking thing happened. They honored that and said, okay, stay where you are. About three years later, I went back to that spot anyway. And I thought I'd stay there forever. And then God called again to the voice of the bishop. And I knew this rookie bishop didn't know what he was talking about. So I went to see him to straighten him out about that. And he just kept smiling at me. He says, you really want to go, don't you? I said, no, you don't know what I want. But he knew where I needed to be. And so I'm here. Engaging is wonderful. Establishing is critical. Equipping is necessary. But until we're empowered... Not much happens in our lives. I know a lot of very biblically astute Christians who 
whom God cannot count on for much. I don't know how I could say something sadder than that. I wish I could say I'm exaggerating. But in my experience, I'm not. How many parents do you know who couldn't even be counted on to equip their own children? Yeah, these little creatures that run around the building, so easy to love them. Even when they get older, on their good days, you can still love a teenager, you know? They'll call you out from your comfort place. They'll call you to get out in the middle of the sanctuary and dance. They'll do anything. They'll empower you. We promise to equip you when we baptize you, and we will. Your prom parents promise to equip you also, and if they're not doing so, let them know it. Spare no direction. And when they get very angry at you for being so audacious as to tell them they're not preparing you, then you tell them this. You say, you go up there at First United Methodist Church, and you find the associate and tell him. If he's not in, send him to me. Are you empowering your children? I don't mean are you just bringing them to church. I was brought to church by well-meaning, loving parents. I was put in a congregation. They just didn't do enough to empower me. They didn't do enough to mentor me because they thought I was still a teenager. They didn't do enough to mentor me when I became a young adult because it was too much trouble to teach Bible studies, I guess. I don't know what they thought. There is no substitute for being established in the word. There's no substitute for understanding how God equips us to serve. But until we become empowered, nothing much happens. It's true for individuals, and hear me clearly, it's true for the body of Christ that worships in any particular place. The church has to be willing to be empowered. I struggle with this sermon. I, I kind of dreaded the fourth week coming in this sermon series. Empower. There's not a lot of empower. You know, I looked up the dictionary of the word empower. I couldn't even find it in one copy I had of Webster. So I had to go to Google. There it was. Yeah. Google says empowering is to give power or authority. It also says that it's to enable someone. And then in a, in a different expression as a noun form, empowerment is when, it's when the, it's to increase the strength of an individual or a community. That's empowerment. So that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about a strength of, com of community and individuals to have their strength greatened, to have their influence spread, to give them a sense of power to accomplish whatever God has set before them in the midst of their situation. And it tells us right in this text how to do this. That's why I selected this text from Timothy, looking for one for empower. This is a great few words from one who was mentoring another. Written by Paul to Timothy, the one who he shared the word of faith with and Timothy received it and became a believer. He called out Timothy and sent him as a pastor to the churches. And here he is following up, mentoring this young man by telling him these things. He said, remember the truth you heard of of the Christian faith, the grace that you received. He says, remember that grace has been confirmed by witnesses, many witnesses in your life. Be, remember, Timothy, that your own personal experience has vivified the living truth 
that God in Christ is alive in you. Remember that it has been entrusted to you so that you will teach others who will then teach others. That's the plan. There's not another plan. So when we talk about the discipleship pathway, let's be clear, it's been around a long time, and God is counting on us and others like us to fulfill that plan. Now, he's got an ending chapter, and when it happens, we won't have to worry about falling from the rope. We'll fall right into the hands of Jesus, but a whole lot of other people are not going to be falling in a very pleasant place. But until that time comes when Jesus returns to this earth, we are the plan as we are empowered by God working through us by his Holy Spirit. There's not another plan. Now, some churches have got their own plans that doesn't involve the Spirit much. You know how that goes. Some people have got their own plan by becoming more more mature in faith. It's called getting older. They expect that by the time they get old, they'll be really wise in faith. And you know, there's nothing sadder. This is another very sad statement. You know, what's sadder than seeing somebody who's been in church for 50 or 60 years of their life who knows about... Of course, that's none of y'all. It's not really any Methodist I know. It's more some of those folks in Presbyterian church or Baptist church or Assembly of God or... Catholic Church, Church of Christ Church, anybody but us, right? I mean, we're not the ones who are still babies when we're 70 years old, right? We have matured. Now, I know for all of you who have more life experience than others, you're thinking, are you trying to say I'm not mature in my faith? No, I'm just asking, are you? And I am asking, are you? Because if you're not mature in your faith, and if you're not empowered to make a difference in God's world, and I don't want to hear, do you know how old I am now? I can't really be empowered. I have too much power. It would blow my wires and my circuits would all blow up. No, it will not. God is not through with you yet because you're still breathing. God has work for you to do, and God will enable you to do it. It may not be exactly what you want to do. Remember, he told Timothy to be ready to suffer. You know, it's not going to be an easy job. This following Jesus is not for the faint of heart, it's for people who are willing to open themselves up so that they can be filled up with God, so that they can then share what they have with others. That's empowerment. And that's what we intend to do intentionally. And then when you get to that point, I think I just skipped to the lack of my page. What time is it? Am I? Yeah. I'm, gosh, I'm almost about to get through and time I intended. That's scary. What does it touch for us to be? What does it take for us to be empowered? It takes the Holy Spirit first of all. That's the source. And you may say, "No, really, it's Jesus for me." Well, really, it's not Jesus for you. If you think it's Jesus for you, that tells me that you haven't studied this book enough. Jesus, right now, is not in your heart. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, still begging for our salvation. It is the Holy Spirit who has been loosed upon this earth and given as a source of power. That's what Jesus said, and it happened at Pentecost. That's what Jesus said in Luke 24, wait till you receive the power. That's what Jesus said all along. I am going, someone else is coming, and that someone is still here, and that's who's inside you. That someone is the Holy Spirit. It is God. If you like the broad word, you can get away saying God about everything is spiritual because God is there, but Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's where our power comes from. But there's something about even the Holy Spirit's work. 
We can resist the Holy Spirit. Remember that young boy who wouldn't say yes to the call? That's called resisting the Holy Spirit. Remember that person who was called to ministry 20 years ago and just kept saying no? Because it wasn't practical? That was the Holy Spirit knocking on the door. But like Jesus and like the Father, the Holy Spirit will not overcome your ability to say no. You have to participate. You have to open the door and let the Spirit in. And it's then when you will really become mentored by God as the Holy Spirit becomes active in your life. Then you'll learn about and have knowledge of the gift of that person who's inside you. You will experiment and learn about the gifts that God has given just you to work in and through the body of Christ. You'll be aware of the process of how God is working in your life to change your, your character as the fruit of the Spirit is produced in you naturally, continually, in an ongoing way. You will have faith at that point as that fruit begins to be produced in the very power of the Holy Spirit so that when someone tells you, no, you and God can't, you can look at that someone and say, yes, God and I can. We certainly can because I have trust in the power that I know that's in me. I can be faithful. I don't have to be like all the rest of the teenagers. I can resist evil. I don't have to be like the generation that's chasing nothing but the dollar and their retirement in their 401k. I don't have to be that way. I can resist anything that entangles me and keeps me from following the will of God in my life as the Holy Spirit whispers it in my ear. The divine touch must be there to empower us. And then secondly, when that divine touch comes, comes our response. We must be willing to receive this Holy Spirit. We must be willing to say yes. We must be willing to be transformed. We must be willing to listen to the scriptures. Oh, by the way, you do know that you have to read the scriptures before you can listen to them? I mean, I, I, I get that you want to come on Sunday and have me fill you in with cliff notes on the version of the scriptures. And those cliff notes are really good because, you know, hey, <laughs> Doug's version, you know, that's the DSV, Doug's standard version. The, the trouble with that is every now and then, you know, and I'll tell you when I think it's happening, uh, stuff might be my opinion instead of what I think the scripture says. And sometimes I could even be wrong. I know that's a shocking thought to me. And probably uh, it's a shocking thought to you when you look in the mirror and contemplate, could I be wrong? But check that mirror every now and then and ask yourself, am I wrong? And here's my last question for this sermon. If the Holy Spirit is willing to do the work in our lives, and if we're willing to receive it, what's the problem? What's the problem? Could it be that there's a lack of understanding? Just this past week, the trustees made a decision not to invite another congregation to have worship in our facilities because we think there's a lack of understanding of what they understand about the scriptures, and we don't think it would be a good match for their ministry and ours. That's not an egotistical theological basis. That is basic biblical truth, and so we chose not to do it. Understanding is critically important. There's a lack of a mentor. Could it be there's a lack of a mentor who will guide us? A lot of people need a mentor. Did I say a lot of people? Make that everybody. Are there a lack of mentors? 
who are you mentoring now besides your children, besides your spouse? I'm going to give you those. And if you're whispering to yourself now, I'm not doing a very good job there either. Change what you're doing. Change what you're doing. Could it be that there are a lack of witnesses filled with the power of the Holy Spirit to show us God in our lives? Are we so silent out there in the world that we're a very polite Christian? Are we so silent to just smile at someone and say, well, I can never have done this, that, or the other except God gave me the strength to do it. The world is starving for believable witnesses of the power of God in their life. The world is dying for a lack of witnesses. Now, I said that was the last, and it really is. I'm winding up now. To empower someone is to pass on what was passed on to you. Nothing has been passed on to you just for your benefit only. There are enough selfish Christians in the world who think Jesus is all for them and all about them going to heaven. That's just not the case. Scripturally, it's very clear. Jesus came that everyone might be saved. And the plan is God is counting on two things. God is counting on the Holy Spirit to provide the power and he's counting on the willingness of his children who believe in him to receive that power and I'll let it work through them. Now, this is true for an individual and this is true for the church. It doesn't work if it's just individuals and it doesn't work if it's just the church. It doesn't work. It takes both. Some churches are great worshiping communities. Communities. They just don't have very many mentors. They don't have very many witnesses Monday through Saturday. Some individuals are so full of Christ, I don't know how they got it because I know the churches they're from. One or the other is not enough. It takes individuals. And it takes the body of Christ. Organize to make disciples. We're not going to try to make disciples. We're not going to suggest you are becoming a more serious disciple. We're going to plan for you becoming a more serious disciple. Now, every time we invite you to participate in some kind of ministry that will help this circle continue to go in your life, and you say, well, I can't do that, I'm going to be looking at you. J.D.'s going to be looking at you. Cindy. Times two is going to be looking at you. Your Sunday school teacher is going to be looking at you. And when you say, well, I just can't do it, they're going to read 2 Timothy 2. And they're going to say, verse 3 says, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ. They're going to say, no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. If your life is so entangled that you don't have any time for Jesus, any time to serve, any time to learn, any time to dance with joy in the presence of God, any time to walk across the street to your neighbor and say, where you go, church? Any time to pick up this word and say, speak spirit to me. 
If your life is that entangled, my brothers and my sisters, there's one who can untangle it for you. This past week, once again, we learned a hard lesson. As we said goodbye to David Hansen and put our arms around Beth and her children, we were reminded that nobody knows how long they have upon this earth. So if you're waiting to get older so you can tell your children about your faith when you have more time, stop it. Stop it. If your lives are so in, engaged with all the stuff of the world that you don't have time and to read the scriptures with your children, don't leave them to figure it out by themselves. Stand up. You. I'm talking to you this morning. Stand up. Stand up with us. Look how pretty these girls are. Pretty as they are, smart as they are, loving as they are, their children are the associate. One of them is one's friend, newfound friend. They need somebody to mentor them, right? Say yes. yes. See that? That's what a mentor does. A mentor encourages you to say yes at the right time. Every child should have the opportunity to learn from their parents. And if you say, but I don't know as much as my teenager, then ask them to teach you. And I'm not just kidding. If your child's in the Word more than you are, there's only one way to fix that. You've got to open this book yourself. If they have more of the love of Christ than you do, then you've got to open this book and open your heart for yourself. This is going to really be fun. There are going to be so many people responding to you when you go out there and tell them about the power of the Holy Spirit in your life in a calm, intelligent, biblical way that offers that same opportunity.